Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. So the number uh, of those who lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, was 300 men, but all the rest of the people got down on their knees to drink the water. And notice, then the Lord said to Gideon, By the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and deliver the Midianites into your hand and let all the other people go, every man to his place. Welcome, everyone, to today's edition of Truth in Christ Radio. Our lesson begins as we see God still reducing Gideon's army. The scripture says, By the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and deliver the Midianites into your hand. God assured Gideon that victory was certain, even with only 300 men. Now the Israelite army was less than 1% of its original size, and the proportion was 400 Midianite soldiers to each Israeli soldier. Gideon could only trust in God because there was nothing else to trust. Have you ever been in a position where you were forced to trust God and nothing else? Think about it. Now let's join Pastor Rob with today's message. You could just turn with me to chapter 20 in Deuteronomy. This kind of idea God had established way uh, before this, and we'll see it. Because remember what the Lord says, Whoever is fearful and afraid, let him turn and depart at once uh, from here. And so we see in Deuteronomy chapter 20, years before this battle that we're looking at tonight, uh, God spoke to the children of Israel. Um, We're just going to look at the first nine verses. It says, When you go to battle, this is Deuteronomy 20, verse 1, When you go out to battle against your enemies and you see horses and chariots. So God is encouraging them in things that they haven't even experienced yet. Experienced yet. And again, that's what a good shepherd does. Before it happens, he tells them in advance. That is really good stuff when you can get an advance notice on what's coming. He says, when you go out to battle, not if, but when, you go out to battle against your enemies and you see horses and you see chariots and people more numerous than you, do not be afraid of them. For the Lord your God is with you who brought you up from the land of Egypt. And so it shall be when you are on the verge of battle that the priest shall approach and speak to the people. And he shall say to them, Hear, O Israel, today you are on the verge of battle with your enemies. Do not let your heart faint. Do not be afraid and do not tremble or be terrified because of them. For the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to save you. Isn't that what God wants to do? He wants to save 
his people. Not only the children of Israel, but he wants to save you. He wants to save you and me. And hopefully he's got all of us. But if there's anyone here that God doesn't have a hold of, uh, consider that tonight. You know, you, you need Jesus. I need Jesus still, even as a believer. I need him every single day, but you do too. But notice what happens in verse 5. It says, Then the officers shall speak to the people, saying, What man is there uh, who has built a new house and has not dedicated it? Let him go. And return to his house, lest he die in the battle, and another man dedicates his house. Also, what man is there who has planted a vineyard and has not eaten of it? Let him go and return to his house, lest he die in the battle, and another man eats of it. And what man is there who is betrothed to a woman and has not married her? Let him go and return to his house, lest he die in the battle, and another man marry her. That'd be a bad day. <laughs> That'd be a bad day. Verse 8, here it is. The officer shall speak further to the people and say, What man is there who is fearful? What man is there who is fearful and faint-hearted? Let him go and return to his house, lest the heart of his brethren faint like his heart. And, and so, uh, isn't that true that whenever there is one person in a group of people, and we saw this when the children of Israel, before they crossed over, after the, the, the spies had come back from the promised land. It was ten people who turned the whole country, the whole, the whole group of the Israelites, turned them against God's plan of going in and possessing the land. It, it took ten. And there was only two men who were faithful, Joshua and Caleb. So one, you know, uh, one person, even one person out of a hundred, can really uh, be a sour apple amongst the amongst the the bounty and so and that tends to spread it very rarely stays just one because all it takes is one to say i don't really think god can do this and all of a sudden you got two people looking at each other going you know i'm not really sure he can either you know we're outgunned here we're the odds are really against us i don't think god can do this i'm not up for this and then the, another person hears, and so it goes, and so it goes. And pretty soon this, this unbelief has infected everybody. And so it's better for God to winnow away Lord, you know, those who are fearful right from the get-go to make sure that those who are left are not fearful, that they're ready to go out and fight, and they're ready to go out and battle. And then in verse 4 we see the second test. Let's look at it. It says, But the Lord said to Gideon, The people are still too many. So now with this... 31 and a quarter percent reduction in his army. The Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. Uh, I got 10,000 now, so bring them down to the water. And um, you don't know this, but let me just describe a scene to you. At the bottom of Mount Gilboa, there's that spring that I was telling you about. It's like a little cave. It goes in about maybe 30 or 40 feet, and then that's where the water gushes out, and that's where this is happening. We actually were, again, at that site. But right on the top of that mountain, Mount Gilboa, up in that, up above that spring area is where they would encamp. And so now they're coming down there, and God is going to test them the second time. He's going to take this 10,000-man army, and he's going to winnow it even further. So the people are still too many, the Lord says. Bring them down to the water. And I will test them there for you there. Then it shall be that of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, the same shall go with you. And of whom, whomever I say to you, this one shall not go with you, the same shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water. And the Lord said to Gideon, Everyone who laps from the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set apart by himself. And likewise, everyone who gets down on his knees to drink. And the number of those who lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, was 300 men. 
But all the rest of the people got down on their knees and they just stuck their head in the water like a dog and they licked with the water just like a dog would lick, right? And so you can, you, when we were there, we, we almost took pictures of ourselves when we were in Israel at this very spot. I almost got down on my hands and knees and like a dog, a thirsty dog, licked the water. But I thought, you know, is that really how I want to be seen? I'd rather be the guy who gets down on his knees and puts the water up, you know. But um, So anyway, so the number uh, of those who lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, was 300 men, but all the rest of the people got down on their knees to drink the water. And notice, then the Lord said to Gideon, By the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and deliver the Midianites into your hand and let all the other people go, every man to his place. So can you imagine your own heart if you were in this place. You know, here you are, Gideon, you have this 32,000-man army. It's been winnowed down 31 and a quarter percent. Now you got 10 guys. Now the Lord does this second test. Now there's 300 men left, and that is uh, actually less than a quarter. It's actually 0.94% of his original force is now the only thing that's left. So less than 1% is going to get this job done. And it's interesting that God can do, again, we know this, but he can do a lot with very little. God doesn't need a big church. He doesn't need a mega church to get his, his, vo- his voice, his message out. Sometimes it's the small churches that are actually doing the work and actually being more effective. And that doesn't mean that the, uh, the mega church is bad. It just means they need, to get on, they need to get with the program, right? They need to get in the Lord's will and not their own. And that's a challenge for every church, right? And so, but God can do a lot with very little. I mean, after all, he replenished and repopulated the earth with how many people? With eight people. He destroyed the, the former earth, or, not, or the former face of the earth anyway, in, in the flood of Noah there in Genesis 6 and 7. And, uh, and God can also do uh, small things. He can do great things, actually, with little things. We see that in Matthew's Gospel when Jesus fed the 5,000. And the 6,000 with just five loaves and a couple of fish. We know how he multiplied that miraculously to feed all these people who were out there in the desert place and they needed to be fed. God can do that. He can do that. And it's important that we walk in faith. That we walk, we do, we're willing to do the small things. Don't be afraid to do the small things. Be faithful in the small things and God will give you bigger things. In fact, the one a gentleman was quoted, make every occasion a great occasion, for you can never tell when somebody may be taking your measure for a larger place. And the idea is that God sees what nobody else sees. What do you do when no one else is looking? Are you willing, if somebody was looking, are you going to pick up that, that piece of trash, you know, uh, uh, you know, outside your, uh, outside your neighbor's house? Maybe there's a, um, a piece of trash in your neighbor's lawn. You know, if your neighbor's out watering the grass and he sees you picking it up, and you're like, well, if, if he wasn't there, I'd just continue to walk. You know, that, that's the kind of stuff. It's, it's silly, but little things like that are important because God sees what you do in secret, and then what does he do? He rewards you openly, and he will give you greater and greater things if you're faithful in just a little. Faithful in just a little. So notice in verse 8 in our text tonight, it says, So the people, they took provisions and their trumpets in their hands, and he sent them sent away all the rest of Israel. So now he got 300 guys. And so every man to his tent, and they retained those 300 men. Now the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. So there's 135,000 warriors out in the, in the valley there. And now he's got 300 men. 
He's got 300 men. These trumpets that they're using is really nothing more than a shofar. In fact, I've got one here. Uh, this is what a shofar looks like. This is what they would use. And you can see this. It's just a ram's horn. And what they would do, I'm not going to do this, but you would blow in this end and, and make a noise, and it would be uh, certain things, uh, certain ways that you would do that would mean something to the armies around. One, one sound may mean let's march. One sound, another sound may mean to retreat. Another sound may need, you know, let's go to Bill Grace for hamburgers. Uh, I don't know, but the, these, uh, this is what it was. It, these trumpets, they were shofars. That's actually what it means in the Hebrew. So they used these. And where did they get these 300 um, shofars? The trumpets and the pitchers, they were probably obtained from the rest of the folks that weren't um, uh, going out to battle with them. It's very likely that every captain over 50 or over 100, they had a trumpet for communication. They had a shofar to communicate. And we know that that's not a far-fetched idea because Exodus tells us uh, in, in chapter 18, verse 21, uh, remember uh, Jethro's advice to Moses. He says, Moreover, you shall select from all the people able men, such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. And so these rulers over these different groups of people, they would have a shofar, no doubt, to get their attention, to rally the troops, um, to get them in order. And they would have their own, perhaps, a distinct sound that they would use. And in Numbers chapter 31, verse 14, there's another spot where it says, Moses was angry with the officers of the army, with the captains over thousands and captains over hundreds. So even the armies, you know, they had uh, captains over these different uh, denominations of people, and certainly they have to get their attention and a shofar. So they would take these 300 shofars. You know, if you're like me, as I read passages like this, don't be afraid to ask the questions because a lot of times you'll find answers if you dig a little further. It's like, you know, my first thought was, where did they get the shofar? Where did they get the trumpets? You know, it's not like you can go down to Atlas Music or someplace to buy trumpets. You know, where are they going to find these shofars? That many. You know, they, they had to have um, all these men who aren't going to the battle now they're willing to offer their shofar for these guys because the, 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 they're, they're going for a specific goal and they're more than happy to give up their, their shofar because guess what? They don't have to go to battle. They can go back into their tent and they can watch Fox News. And so, um, and I'm only kidding. Hopefully none of you are laughing. That really wasn't funny. So anyway, can you imagine these men, this, these 300 men? At this point, I would be like perhaps feeling pretty fearful, you know, <laughs> as God is winnowing this, uh, this uh, army, the, more, the smaller it gets, the smaller it gets, you can imagine the other guys, uh, they're going, man, this is getting really ridiculous, but you know what, God had given them that faith. So verse 9, it happened on the same night that the Lord said to them, arise and go down to the camp, for I have delivered it into your hand. And there are three times before this before this chapter that we're looking at, that God told Gideon that he would be victorious over the Midianites. He and you can just write these down. It's in Judges uh, chapter six, just a couple of chapter, a chapter before this, and verse fourteen, uh, chapter six, verse sixteen, and then in chapter seven, verse seven, which we just read just a few moments ago. And so God told him that he was going to be victorious and. And, and, and Gideon evidently needed that, uh, that affirmation, that reaffirming voice from God, because again, none of us are spiritual giants. We may think that we're something, but 
sometimes God allows things in our life when we, we realize that, you know, I, I'm really not what I thought I was. I'm really not as uh, faithful as I thought I would be. I never thought I'd be tempted in this situation like I'm being tempted. See, we don't know our hearts, but God, He knows our hearts. And God also, in addition to uh, telling him three different times that he would be victorious, God also gave him three distinct signs to, to, to back up what God had said. In fact, a lot, of, a lot of times signs are given to back up what God has said. And we see that in uh, Judges 6, uh, verse 19, where um, you know the fire from the rock, when the angel of the Lord came, that was one sign. Uh, the wet fleece, we see that, that was another sign. And then the dry fleece in the very next uh, iteration of that, we see that all in chapter 6, three times. And notice that God in verse 19, He would have given them victory if they had done nothing more than to just go down right at that moment. But notice what happens. Verse 10, and I love this about the Lord. He says, <laughs> let's read verse 9 again. And it happened on the same night that the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have delivered it into your hand. At that point, the army of Israel could have gone forth to down to the camp and taking care of business, and God would have given them a wonderful victory. But again, notice how God is working in the life of not only Gideon, but um, mainly Gideon right now, and probably those other guys too. But he says in verse 10, But if you are afraid to go down, now God doesn't waste his words, so God knows that Gideon is probably a little apprehensive, a little fearful. He says, But if you are afraid, go down to the camp with Pura, your servant, and you shall hear what they say. And afterward, your hand shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. Then he went down with Pura, his servant, to the outpost of the armed men who were in the camp. Now, you have to kind of picture this in your mind. This is at night, and having just a couple of guys sneak down into a camp of a well-established army is not going to be that big of a deal because they're not going to make any noise. It's going to be in the, under the, uh, the guise of twilight, so they're going to be unnoticed. And so... You know, it's very dark, and I, and I am sure that uh, God made that night to be very dark. He probably had the moon uh, covered with cloud cover so that there'd be no chance of any light uh, coming through at that time. But notice in verse 10 there how gracious the Lord is and, and, and that He knows our frame. What does it say in Psalm 103? This is one of my favorite verses. It's in uh, verse 13 and 14. It says, As a father pities his children... So the Father, so Jehovah pities those who fear Him. Notice, for He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. He remembers our frame. He knows that we are dust. And I love that about the Lord. And because He's not surprised. He made us. He knows exactly what we're made of. He knows what we're not made of. And so, and also in Isaiah 42, we mentioned this earlier, uh, 42 verse 3 in Isaiah. It says, A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoking flax he will not quench. God is not going to take your faith and, and shipwreck it because of something that you're doing or not doing. He's going he's gonna to breathe life. He's going to encourage it. It's so unlike the world. The world is saying, well, if you don't have the skills right now, we don't need you. We can't take you. I need somebody who can give me the, the, the results now. I don't need somebody who is, who's still learning on the job. And God is all about learning on the job. It's the process that matters, not so much what happens at the end. God is more concerned about the process of what it takes 
than the end result. You know, you've heard that phrase, the ends do not justify the means. God is more interested in the journey, in the relationship, in the in the nuts and bolts, in the grind of everyday life. He's more interested in that, knowing where it's going to take you, more so than just the result itself. Because he could just get you there if he wanted to. But it's again, it's the it's the sanctification, right? What does it say in First Thessalonians four thirteen? This is the will of God, even your sanctification, step by step, little by little, here a little, there a little. That's the way it works. So, verse twelve, it says, "Now the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of the east were lying in the valley, as numerous as locusts, and their camels were without number, as the sand by the seashore in multitude." And this is the first time in the scripture that we see camels actually. Uh, being included in warfare because normally they're not they're not that kind of animal. You certainly see horses, but this is the first time in the scripture where we see that camels were actually part of this whole thing because they certainly are tall and lanky and they can move if they really need to. So, and when Gideon verse thirteen had come, there was a man. So they come down into the valley. He and his companion there, and there was a man telling a dream to his companion, and this was the dream. He said to this other man, and again, you can you can just picture a tent. If you've ever been camping and your mom and dad are in the tent and they're whispering something about you, and you're a little kid, you get outside the tent and you're listening and, and you're hearing what their you know what your birthday present's going to be. Well, this is the kind of same thing. Gideon and his, uh, his 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 companion there, they're listening to a conversation, and it just happens to be at the right time. Is there any coincidence here? Is there any? Uh, there's no coincidence. Everything is a God incidence, meaning that even the fa- even how long it took them to come down the hill there to get to where the camp was, God was even involved in how long it took them, and he waited, and these guys are having a conversation. And isn't it wonderful how God works like that? You know how great that is. So he gets there, and the guy says, I've had a dream. To my surprise, and here's his dream, a loaf of barley bread, which is, which is you can tell that a barley bread is something that poor people make, not with the real wheat, but with barley, which is a much less expensive of a grain. So this barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian, and it came to a tent, struck it so that it fell and overturned, and the tent collapsed and and again they were just there at the right time and again the lord knows our frame he knows our frame there's sometimes we uh we need to uh go through things you know the lord knows what he's doing he's been through it himself in fact in hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 what did paul say i believe paul wrote hebrews it says for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. See, Jesus knew he knows all things, and there's not a thing that you can go through that he hasn't experienced in his life. Uh, that, that Those 33 years that he was on the earth, he experienced pretty much everything like a normal human being would. And so there's nothing that you're going to go through that he hasn't already experienced. In fact, he's experienced things that no one will ever experience. He experienced not only the crucifixion, but he experienced uh, the separation, this the separation from his father for a time on the cross and taking the sin of man on his shoulders. That's something that no one can ever do and no one ever has except for him. But notice in verse 14, Then his companion answered and said, 
this is the guy, the other guy in the tent who's hearing this guy's dream. He says, this is nothing else but the sword of Gideon. Notice, it's all about Gideon from this guy's perspective. It's the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. Into his hand, God has delivered Midian and the whole camp. And this is a dream that God allowed this pagan idolater to have. He allowed them to have it. Now, I want you to underline in verse 14 that phrase, sword of Gideon. Just underline it because we're going to see in verse 18 below and also in verse 20 something interesting that happens with that phrase because the enemy is thinking, oh, no, it's the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel, right? So underline that. Let's go on to verse 15. And so it was when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, notice that he worshipped. He returned to the camp of Israel and he said, Arise, for the Lord has delivered the camp of Midian into your hand. And no doubt. I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of Judges. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things, such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play and Apple Podcast. You may also join us on Sundays and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.